0: Welcome to Your Divorce Planner Podcast. I'm your host, Heidi B., certified divorce coach, event expert, and go-to gal for navigating the next steps of your divorce journey. I'm so happy you've tuned in for the tools, topics, and truth talk to start transforming your life today. I truly believe that with a powerful planning partner, you will heal the heartbreak and move forward faster. Without further delay, let's continue creating your comeback today. Hey, hey, everybody. Welcome back to the show. We have an incredible guest for you today. Karis Nafti, CDBC, is the founder of Who Keeps the Dog, Pet Custody Mediator. A certified dog behavior consultant and accredited family mediator, Karis brings 25 years of experience as a dog behavior expert into the divorce world. She sees clients worldwide and regularly works in collaboration with mediators and attorneys whose clients need support in pet custody matters. An educator and speaker, Karis developed the first pet custody education course for divorce professionals who want to know how to best look after the needs of pets During Divorce. A presenter at the American Bar Association, the Association of Professional Family Mediators, and International Mediation Week, Karis has been featured in the Associated Press, Vice News, ABC News, Scripps News, The New York Post, Australian Dog Lover Magazine, Inside Your Cat's Mind Magazine, and many, many more. Welcome to the show,
1: Karis. Thank you, Heidi.
0: I love your bio because I want people to know that you are truly an expert in this space. I have so many clients where one of their biggest roadblocks is sharing the dog. And it digs me every single time that I hear a woman struggling and suffering over doggy exchange day, if you know what I mean. And I feel like so many times those clients feel like there is a setback after, even after doing the deep healing, because it's such a trigger to continue coordinating, sharing a pet. And originally I was going to do this episode solo, and then I saw your blog and I knew immediately, oh my gosh, I have to have Karis on my show because you're truly, truly, as your bio represents the expert in this space, Um, I didn't even know that this was a thing, But I'm definitely, I know we have people listening who need your expertise, who need your support today and probably beyond today. So first of all, can you maybe explain what pet custody mediation is? Because like I said, I had no idea it even existed. Um, And what are maybe some of the goals that people should keep in mind for going through uh, pet custody mediation?
1: So the goal of pet custody mediation that I tell my clients from the beginning is that I want the dog to end up in the best situation. So I, of course, want the people to be supported, but my client is your dog. And then the people are just along for the ride. <laughs> and that that might sound a little bit funny because of course my clients are the people, but my focus is what's right for the dog in this situation. Yeah. So what I think I'd like to say before we continue is that I'm going to talk a lot about dogs, but people must understand that you can insert cat or parrot or whatever it is into this. Mm. But in my experience, it is dogs that primarily people see me for, it's dogs where people want to do shared custody. Um, the the nature of dogs as being such cute companion animals makes it very easy to make them into substitute children, which people will do whether they admit it or not. Yes. And less less so with cats because cats are just cats. Yes. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so everybody must just know I'm not, I'm not favoring the dogs, love the cats. I've got three cats of my own, but, um, It's quite relevant when we talk about dogs, because I think a lot of those things would be quite familiar to people. So the goal, the goal of pet custody mediation is, first of all, I want to keep my clients out of court. I don't Mm -hmm. want you ending up in front of a judge who has to make this very, very personal decision for you. I want the people to feel at peace about what is happening, regardless Mm -hmm. of what the outcome is. It might not be the outcome you wanted. Um, it's impossible to know when we start, but regardless of what happens that you at least can feel, make peace with it, even if it's not exactly what you wanted, which I think speaks to a lot of what happens in divorce anyway. And, and, but the primary goal because of my background is how is this custody decision or this potential custody decision going to affect the dog in the long run? And that's what makes the work that I do unique is my background is in dog psychology. I'm a dog psychology expert. And I started doing this work out of desperation because I was seeing so many dogs after the divorce who were having anxiety problems, who had become aggressive, who'd become destructive. and And dogs, dogs can't speak English. <laughs> they don't they don't send us a text. The only way the only way a dog can tell you that they are not coping with their life is by their behavior changing. So if you observe this, then you have to figure out why is the behavior changing? How do we go back to the root of that and how do we fix that? And if the root of that is the custody plan or the custody decision is not fair on the dog, that's where we have to change. And that's where all of this started for me.
0: Wow.. Uh, uh it's just already so many golden nuggets do you have a personal attachment to this space as well or do you have like a i know for me and the work that i do obviously i was i am divorced and so i'm really passionate about the work that i do what makes you so passionate about this space particularly
1: well, from a personal point of view, I am an expert at getting divorced. I've been divorced twice. Okay, yeah. <laughs> I've been divorced twice. I shouldn't say expert. I, I don't mean that in, in any sort of unkind way to people yes. going through it. But I've been there twice. Yes. I am married now. I got. I. I think I finally figured it out on my third marriage. I just said I was a slow learner about getting married. So I'm very happily married now for 10 years. So I think, I think this one's going to work. Um, but I have, yes, I've been through it twice myself. I've been a single mom. I've had to take my dogs out of a relationship that I left. Ah. And the other side of why that I do this work is my mother was a divorce mediator. So I grew I grew up in a house where the conversation around the house was often around divorce and challenging clients she had or creative solutions or or something. And and there was also sort of a general um attitude towards conflict that I think I kind of learned and inherited from my mom about being very curious about conflict and seeing it not as a problem to be fixed, but okay, this is sort of an opportunity to have a have a a helpful, richer conversation about things. So mm. those things in combination with my absolute passion for dogs, absolute love of animals, um, and my work with animals, I was just really lucky to make my love my work, um, has led me, has led me to do this sort of work now that's amazing and thank you for sharing that
0: personal touch of it because i think it really makes listeners understand that you have been through it you're not just an expert in this field saying you sh- you know here's here's what here's what the facts are here are some tips and techniques it's like you've actually experienced it yourself and I wish everybody had could see this the camera because you have the cutest dog that love that I got the chance to see just a cutie little bear over, not little bear, but big bear over there. Um, and all of your all of your dog love is very prominent. So um I have to admit, I was gonna approach this topic alone, solo, um, on why sharing the dog was unhealthy for the human. But after reading your blog, I realized that I had it backwards. And so I want to preface this conversation by saying that if you've already gone through the legal process um, concerning your pet, and we're not here to tell you that you did it wrong or made a bad choice, right? Um, My intention really for this podcast is really in hopes that we can get folks who haven't yet made this decision, consider all of the factors rather than making this kind of heady, emotion-driven decision that doesn't serve you or your pet in the long run to really take your time, get an expert on your side, and serve your future and your pet's future in the best way possible. So maybe you can help us understand the impact of shared custody versus sole custody with pets
1: or dogs, so sole custody, in my experience, is something that sounds very appealing early on in the divorce process, because it feels like, okay, that's fine. If we share Rover or pretend Rover for this conversation, then nobody has to say goodbye, and it puts off this potentially very difficult um, decision. Or, or for some people, it's that is the decision that can kind of derail the whole divorce negotiation because of, because of the emotions that are attached there. So it sounds like a very good plan. And very often people are quite, um, they're quite motivated to be friendly and like, yeah, that's okay. So, okay, we're, we're, we're trying our best to be friendly. So we'll agree on shared custody. Now I agree with you that from the person point of view, it's not good. And we can talk about that in a minute, but from the dog point of view. (laughs) Yes. Normally what happens with dogs is that initially shared custody seems to work because dogs are cool like that. They're like, wow, let's go on an adventure. Wow. We're getting in the car. Wow. We're packing the bags. And they kind of enjoy the movement and something new. And dogs always get in, you know, they they always follow us when we're excited and they get excited with us. And it's kind of like, I feel like
0: sometimes you can go on vacation too, right? They're like, I've done this before I've visited another person's house or I've, you know, gone to the, the dog park or this doggy daycare. I can, Yay. <laughs> yeah,
1: exactly. So th- so there's usually a honeymoon period with dogs about shared custody. Interesting. And sometimes after a few weeks, but usually after a couple of months, the dog starts to realize that oh, this is now happening all the time. And that is when you start to see the change in their behavior because they're not digging it anymore. It becomes tiring and stressful for most dogs, not all dogs, to have to move back and forth between homes. Mm -hmm. Now, I really have to say not for all dogs because there are some dogs who are really fine with it, but not most dogs. And it depends very much on the breed of the dog and the background of the dog, because even though they're the same species, dogs are so different. I mean, St. Bernard's and Dachshund's and everything in between, their personalities are very different, not just their physical looks. Yeah. So the shared custody um, challenge for dogs is that they start to usually to get tired from the going back and forth. And so you will see things like the dog not wanting to get in the car when it's obviously the handover day.
0: Mm.
1: You will see the dog um, sleeping a lot more than they used to. Um, or on the other hand, you'll see a dog that was pretty mellow becoming a bit manic a bit more barky, um, wanting to dig up stuff, wanting to chew up things. Some dogs become a little bit aggressive. Like I had one story where there was a family who had three kids and they had a small, very friendly dog, like very dog-friendly dog. And unfortunately it was a sort of um, dynamic between the two parents where the handoffs were a bit, were pretty toxic and not very not very well managed. And what was happening is that the dog was moving with these three kids. And the kids, bless them, were hugging the dog all the time because they didn't like this transition either. And in hindsight, the dog was screaming in dog language. I can't handle these transitions. He was getting stiff when the kids would hug him. He would run and hide. And the parents would sort of grab the dog and put him in the car. And after a few times of this, the dog bit one of the kids right in the face. Mm. And you can't blame the poor dog when I put the story that way. But at the time, of course, the family is not noticing this poor little dog is not coping with what's happening. So that was sort of a very obvious, easy example about this dog is not coping with it. But the primary thing that you will see is a change in the dog's behavior where they either get a lot quieter or a lot busier. They act out of character. Um, Very often they seem irritable or a little bit snappy or a little bit aggressive. um, And they don't want to make the transition. They stop eating when they get to the new house. Mm-hmm. Sometimes dogs will start peeing inside, like peeing mm-hmm. everywhere, pooing mm-hmm. everywhere where they shouldn't. Mm-hmm. All of those kind of things, um dogs might either put weight on or they might get skinny, kind of like people, I guess.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, stressed, yeah, depends. two different ways for <laughs>
1: emotional handlings, yeah, yeah, exactly. um. And, but the the easiest tell is that the dogs don't, they often don't want to get in the car if they suspect they're going to, the handover is going to happen. So those sorts of things, if people are observant enough, they will see that, oh, this is actually not working for the dog. But it's very hard to be honest with yourself and to notice that in the dog in such a way. And what my clients tell me is that very often after we've sort of closed the door and shared custody and the dog is just living in one house, it's like, they come back to life. They're good old Mm -hmm. self again, whatever that, whatever that is for the dog, they've kind of calmed down and, and settled down with it. So it's not, I always, this is the language I use. And this is a, this is the question that I, I tell lawyers to ask when they study with me, do you think the dog can tolerate shared custody? Mm -hmm. It's a, it's a mistake to think that the dog, this is in the dog's best interest. It is not. It might be in the people's best interest, but it's important that people don't sort of delude themselves into thinking that the dog will be very happy with this because it is. it can happen, but it's rare in my experience.
0: Wow. Oh, wow. This is so good. You said something before we got started and I just want to repeat it because I thought it was just so, just a golden nugget. You said it's really important to stop obsessing over the dog on an unhealthy, like or people people start obsessing over the dog in an unhealthy way rather than actually dealing with what's really happening.
1: What do you mean by that? It's a lot easier to say, the dog hates visiting the ex than to say, I hate visiting the ex. Or it's a lot easier to say, my dog is really, really, really unhappy than to say, I am really, really unhappy. Mm. And it's a lot easier to be upset about the possibility of saying goodbye to the dog than to be deeply present with the fact that your relationship is over. Yes.
0: That is huge. I was just explaining to um, a client of mine a while ago about the grief of losing a dog. And again, I'm not an expert, but My mind told me, you know, at some point you're very likely to lose this dog one way or another, right? Because most of us outlive our pets, not in all instances, but in most instances, I would say most of the times we outlive our pets. So you're either going to have to cope with the grief of losing a pet now, or you're going to have to cope with the loss of losing a pet when they pass. Either way, grief is involved. It's just a matter of time of when you're going to need to actually address it with yourself and maybe others um, in your family. So I just think that's really important for folks.
1: And it's really important for people also to be to be aware that a dog can feel like the symbol of the relationship. Ooh. And and this the kind of love that you had. And I think this is more relevant often if there's no children. If there's human children, the children kind of do that. Yes. <laughs> but if yes. there's no kids, if you've got yes. fur kids, then the the dog is a reminder of the happy times and when you got a puppy together and and on all just the fantastic joy that most dogs bring us. I mean, of course there's dogs with major behavior problems out there, but you know, for most lucky people out there, their dog is is a joyful thing. Yeah. And the and and then suddenly that dog is, is the thought of that dog being torn away from you. It's like the ultimate failure of your relationship going in. Like that part, that piece of happiness of the relationship also leaves with the dog. And that is part of what makes it so devastating. And also, I think the sense of winning and losing and like if the ex gets a the dog, they won and you lost and all of that kind of stuff that goes with it.
0: Absolutely. You know, on this on this note, I would love to give you some of the top reasons why owners tell me that they have to share the dog. This is why this is what they tell me. I have to share the dog because, right? And then if you can educate us from a professional standpoint of, you know, all of your golden nuggets that would be great. So, the first thing, one of the things first things that I hear is, but my dog is my child. This is this is like another kid. This is a part of my
1: family your dog is not your child. I'm sorry. I know it feels that way. And I, I, I fully know that it feels that way. But to imagine that your dog is a child means you're not loving a dog. You are loving an imagined creature that you think the dog is, and you have created a hole in yourself the dog is not designed to fill.
0: It is a hard one because people do say, you know, but it's like my baby, it's like my second kid. It's, but it's actually, it's, it's. I think
1: this is just the tough love part. It's really not. And what you, what I tell people, because people tell me that also, if they really love their dog, if they really love it, they want the best for the dog. Yeah, and it might be, and and being with you is not necessarily the best. Dogs can say goodbye. What's important for people to know and hard to hear is that dogs can say goodbye a lot better than we can. And I can tell you this because I have worked with so many dogs who have been rehomed. And this is separate from divorce. This is just- That's true. A, dog's been, a dog's been adopted because people, people had to give the dog away. There's a million reasons, separate from divorce, where dogs need new homes. And when I work with those dogs in their new home, you know what? They're fine. They don't spend their life missing their old owner. So it's a much easier emotionally for the people to accept that they have to give up a dog if it's for a reason other than divorce. So, uh, you know, for example, I've worked with people where they got married and the person they married is severely allergic to dogs and they've decided, you know what, I'm going to rehome the dog. It's very, Mm. very sad, but because that it isn't the, the sense of trauma that comes with a divorce, they can let the dog go. It's very sad. And then the dog in the new home and I help that dog readjust, the dogs are super happy. The dogs are fine. After a couple of weeks, they they recalibrate very easily. But we imagine because we want them to, we want to pretend that they're our children, that they think about us all the time, like the way that a child would. And that just simply isn't, no one can read a dog's mind, but I can tell you that dogs are very happy when they're in a new place, provided it's a good home for them.
0: Yeah, that's really important. So many things that you just said. And I love the word rehome. I've never heard that before, and uh, I just felt a sense of peace come over my body thinking about like rehoming a dog, just finding the next space that it's actually it's actually going to thrive in because if there's always this tension, like you said, no matter what the conflict, if there's always this tension, they can feel that, right? You know and and you also said to me earlier, dogs show the unspoken issues of what is actually
1: happening in the house. Can you describe a little bit more about what you meant by that. Sure. So when I help people as a dog behaviorist, people call me when something's going wrong with a dog, mild or serious, something they need help. And when I go to those homes, whether I see them online or I go there in person, I will often see things like, for example, it's like the dog's aggressive um, and, and attacking everybody who comes in the house. And as we work through it and I talk through it with the two owners or whatever it is, we'll find out something like, well, I never actually wanted this dog and you made me get this dog. And well, you said you wanted the dog. And there's a, like a fight between the people that actually needed to be had that had not been spoken about before. And that that invisible fight or that invisible frustration, I mean, this sounds a little bit silly, but it it sits in the dog and the dog is much more likely to act aggressive if that's the case. Mm-hmm. Now, that being said, you still have to do the sort of slow patient work of teaching dogs not to bite people when they come in the house, which is not a quick fix just because you have the conversation. But until that conversation is addressed, that something will still linger in the house for the dog. So it's very often a a conversation or a fight that people are not willing to have. And so instead it ends up going on the dog. And a really funny thing, I'm going to tell you this because this would be wonderful for the listeners. This was something I observed over the years, many times where let's say there's a couple and they're married and they have a child in high school and the child is very um, is troubled in some way. Maybe they're having difficulty in school or they're having some kind of mental health issues, but the parent's whole focus is trying to get this kid to graduate high school so they can finally cruise the world together and spend all their time together as soon as they can take care of this kid. And they do that, the kid leaves home and then instead of traveling the world they get a really troubled rescue dog. <laughs> and now they can't And now they can't leave home because of the dog. <laughs> yes. Oh, wanted, my gosh! I wanted, to, <laughs> I wanted to travel cruise around you to the Mediterranean, but now I have to stay home because I bought this very aggressive dog that I can't leave. So <laughs> that happens a lot more than you would think. <laughs> I believe that. I believe it
0: again because as humans, we try to find this cute little thing that we think is going to bring us joy and add, you know, this element of maybe zest or adventure or whatever we think we're craving at the time. we try to pick this pup and like you said assign uh, create an assignment for that dog to fulfill us right and then they can feel that symbolism and it doesn't feel good to them so i can i can absolutely see that happening what do you do in those instances so
1: a lot of the time if people can see what if they can see it if they if they can understand then then they're prepared to actually work with the problem a lot of times when when before people call me they just go well the dog has a problem it's like saying, well, the house has a roof and and labeling a problem doesn't do anything. doesn't fix anything, It doesn't resolve anything. And it actually usually makes it worse. I really don't like using too many labels with the clients I see. It's like, I'm not going to tell your dog has, you know, attachment disorder, separation, anxiety, level three. I'm just going to say, well, your dog howls when you leave. so let's fix that because as soon as you as soon as you label something, there's a sense that it's permanent. Mm-hmm. And it isn't so, so, I don't like, yeah, I don't like putting too many labels on, but it's like if people can see the root cause of maybe why they chose that dog or why they've been behaving the way they have, and then they can see there's a way to fix it, then they will. when they realize, oh, sometimes people sit with issues for years that they don't even think they can resolve, and then they can. And it's like, oh, super. It's almost like asking for the help by getting a professional in signifies they're ready to create a change
0: yeah, that's beautiful. That's really, really beautiful. I actually, um in my coaching, we talk a lot because a lot of women that come in, high anxiety, high stress, and I hear so often i'm an I'm an anxious person. I'm an anxious person. I have anxiety. you know, I, I am an anxious person. And what I try to do is is detach them from that identity. And what I mean by that is, instead of saying i am an anxious person we get to say i'm experiencing sensations of anxiety because and and we can recognize our patterns every time this happens i feel a bit anxious but if i if i continue to say i am i'm an anxious person i'm an anxious person i'm an anxious person now i have this identity for life that Like there's no cure for me. This is just how I am versus the behavioral pieces that you're talking about. Once I am willing to acknowledge that it's there and it's a part of it and it's included, then I can work on making adjustments to making it feel less and less and less and less and less like that. So I really like that. Now, you may have actually answered this question already. I think you have. But one of the other things that I hear is, but they need me they will feel like i abandon
1: them need me what yep. do you say to these folks so what i say is what you're really trying to say is you need the dog and you don't want to feel abandoned yes. they um and i understand that it feels like that but provided whatever home they're in is a good home and their needs are being met it is a need for us to have our dogs want us, which I think is why dogs are so popular. I mean, if you leave for five minutes, you come home. It's like, oh my gosh, she's back. He's back. And 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 one of the ways to help people with that sensation that the dog needs me is to explain that dogs, in terms of their behavior, they are compulsive greeters. They love reunions. Ooh. So they're, the joy that they have when they see you, hate to break it to you. It is not necessarily because they love you as much as they're just doing what dogs do. Mm-hmm. Dogs get that excited when they see people. And it's helpful to realize that because it's like, oh yeah, it's th- this is just how dogs greet the world is they're just super excited when they see you again, but they don't need you. But what will make dogs anxious, what makes all of this so much worse, and this has a lot to do with the shared custody problem, is if you, the person, are manic when you get reunited with a dog. It makes the dog feel like something is wrong, like you're anxious about something. So when I when people do want to do shared custody, um, I have a, a couple of recommendations for people. And the first one is is that you want to keep the comings and goings as boring as possible. Ooh. You have to control yourself for your dog's sake. Don't get hysterical. Don't fall down on the floor and cry. Don't give them seven pieces of bacon. (laughs) Keep it very, very mellow. And the best thing to do is to go for a walk. Don't even sit still and have a cuddle festival. Move around, go out for a walk, ignore your dog a bit. um, And and that is a way to soften the kind of emotional ups and downs that dogs go through when they say hello and goodbye. Mm. Another thing that people can do, which will help, which can help you figure out if you're wanting to do shared custody because of your dog or because you still want to keep tabs on your ex, which is a whole other conversation, mm-hmm. <laughs> is to employ a dog walker to do the transitions for you. Yeah. So you don't even have to see your ex, get a friend, hire somebody, um, but have somebody else do the moving back and forth with the dog. Because it's a very hard moment for the dog when They say goodbye to the one person and hello to the other. They can pick up the tension between the people and they're caught between the sort of saying goodbye from the one side and the saying hello from the other side. So that's another little tip um, is to do a, yeah, uh, have a, a transition person to help with that.
0: I really, really love that you shared these tips because um, I do have uh, I do have some folks who have said, "Well, it's actually it's it's too late. It's already part of our legal agreement. It's already written in there." My lawyer, you know, said this was probably the best way that I should go. Yada yada. So, being able to have some tips based on the fact that this decision has already been made and they don't want to go back and try to change that uh a legal part it's really important um and i love that having someone as the go between that's not the two of you is a really yeah. beautiful option another thing that folks say is and you alluded to it a little bit earlier but i think it's totally fine to reiterate i hear but my ex has already taken so much from me i can't let them take this too it's kind of that winning sensation so like in order to make You know, like, what do you, what do you say to that? They've already taken so much from me. I can't let them have this, this thing too.
1: So what we have, so one way to deal with that, that feeling and that sensation is to say, okay, what do you think your dog would want? Where do you think your dog would actually want to live? And if your ex has a better house set up or maybe a better schedule or, um, You know, if you've got a really, really hyperactive dog and your ex is always taking your dog for runs, um, if it's better for your dog to go with your ex, then you have to do the very hard work of seeing the whole situation through the eyes of your dog and not being selfish about it. What I advise people to do sometimes, which helps is if that's really the heavy feeling they're sitting with, because I know that's a real feeling. I've been there. I get that. Sure. Yeah. Is is to see, is there something you could that you could almost ask for in exchange for the dog? Like, because you need to. It's like, this doesn't feel fair what's happened. I'm prepared to give you the dog, but would you give me this other thing in exchange? And just see if there's some way to acknowledge for yourself. Because like I said, I want people need to feel at peace about this. It's not yeah. fair if if one person doesn't feel at peace about it. So, what can be offered an ex- as an exchange? Try to get creative about it. Is there something, some some other something that would help help that part settle down? Because sometimes there is a very obvious person where the dog should go for a lot mm. of different reasons, and you can't you can't really argue with that. Um, but it does hurt, so that sometimes softens it a little bit.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's really really good. Um, this one's a really big concern for a lot of people. And maybe it's just facing the truth, right? So I love all of your all of your shares here. They say, but I'm afraid that if I don't share,
1: I'll never see my dog again. Yep. And it may be true. Yes. Yeah. And we have to come back to again, what's better for your dog? Now, this is a hard, another hard truth for people. If you are going to say goodbye to your dog, it is kinder to do it and not go back and visit them again. Mm. And I will tell you why. Okay. If your dog, so I said earlier, dogs can say goodbye easier than we can, which is very true. So let's say your ex gets the dog and, and you, for whatever reason, and you're going through the accepting that reality from your dog's point of view, your dog will be a bit confused because this person who was in their life is not there. But usually after between two weeks and a month, they're fine. They're settled into their life. Everything is cool. If you come back and visit, the reunion is fantastic, right? Oh my gosh, this person's back. I love this person. Your dog's doing jumping jacks and you know singing doggy songs. And then you leave again. And then your dog has to sort of go through the adjustment period again of, what? Well, wait, that person came back and then they left. What I see behavior-wise is that when people, um, when exes kind of drop in to visit the dog kind of randomly, this can actually cause a lot of anxiety for dogs because dogs start wondering is like, is today the day? Is uh-huh. today the day he's coming back? Especially if it's random. So they'll they'll start kind of, waiting at the door or turning in circles or like jumping up every time the same kind of car comes around the corner or if they saw their if they saw their ex person you know in the dog park they look for them every time they're there um so it's harder on the dog to have those visits precisely because you're not going to be a big part of their life anymore yeah so it's a hard goodbye but it's kinder for your dog and it's kinder for yourself because If you allow for visits with your ex, what you're also giving your ex permission is to come in and out of your life. And do you actually want that?
0: Really? Yes. Oh, thank you for saying that. Like, because earlier you said uh, something about keeping tabs on your ex, like using in a way. And I think this happens sometimes what I've seen is I, is this happens unconsciously at first. And then if someone points it out like a coach or a mentor or an expert like yourself, then it's like, oh shoot, I see it now. I see it now. I am using this as a way. I I call it also like hanging on to hope. It's the last thing that you have together. You've maybe settled the house. You figured all that out. Um, maybe you've kind of like distanced yourself from your social media streams. You've changed your friend groups. There's, there's a lot of changes that come and a lot of give and take that comes through divorce. And if you share the dog, it's kind of like, we still have this one attachment, even though I tell everybody else around me, I'm moving on, I'm good, yada yada. I go home and I still have tears about it and I still feel triggered by it. And in a way, it's just that last string that I don't have to cut off to make sure that I'm either keeping tabs or there's some sort of attachment. And there's this piece of my significance that's still tied to the memories that we've made and the marriage we had and the possibility of like, well, if we still share the dog, maybe we'll still... Have a chance
1: that some people really feel like that. Have you experienced this? I have. And the other side of what you're saying, that's completely true. and but the problem with it hanging on to hope is that from my experience, because a lot of the a lot of the people I work with have just been in relationships. They haven't even been married, but they had got a dog or they were in they were got married and they got divorced, but they were pretty chilled about the dog. They weren't fighting. They kind of were trying to be friendly. And this is the other thing that happens, Heidi, is that they're okay with the sharing and they're keeping it friendly until one of them gets into a new relationship. That's exactly right. Yep. And then suddenly... This is when a lot of people contact me because like we were sharing the dog and now he won't let me see the dog anymore. And it's because the new partner feels threatened, and rightly so. I mean, it's like absolutely you're still seeing your ex because of Rover, really? <laughs> yeah, no, it really is. Yeah, For an outsider,
0: it's like this does not make sense. Yep.
1: yep. And sometimes then that that new relationship very often changes every suddenly, it's like, you know what? I actually, and that then the new relationship becomes the actual relationship ending between the other. It wasn't saying goodbye to the dog. The dog was keeping some thread of the relationship there. The new human relationship closes that door. And then it's like this protracted trauma that the dog was stopping finally comes to an end. And then it's really, really often so ugly yeah. and 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 can be really suddenly mean. And suddenly it's like, but now he's being mean and we've been doing this for six months and why is he doing this now? And it is so would have been in hindsight people always say they just wish they'd done it when the relationship was over because it just it was just like a wound that wouldn't heal this going back clinging to hope like you said hanging that's on right. to hope that's right yeah this wound that wouldn't heal exactly every,
0: every time you have to go and it reopens itself it's just awful i'm really curious about this one let's say uh this this caller says I have more than one dog. I've got more than one dog. Should we just, you know, we'll just give Rover to him and give Molly to her and call it a day. We'll just split
1: them up. What are your thoughts around that kind of option? Totally depends on the dogs. So it depends. So there are some dogs that are what I call tolerant roommates. So you'll Mm. get dogs who live together. And they're like fine, but they're not yeah. best friends, you know, yeah. and, and this is very often a, depending on the size of the dog and the age of the dog. So when you have dogs of very different sizes or very different temperaments, so if you have, um, you know, a Dachshund and a Rottweiler, let's say, to one tiny little dog and one huge tough dog. Those dogs rarely have a strong social connection because they can't really play because the proportions are off. Now, this obviously there's some big dogs and small dogs that are best friends and everyone sees adorable videos of dogs playing, (laughs) but in general, in general, dogs have more fun as friends if they're kind of the same sort of size because they can actually play. When you have a very big dog and a very small dog, neither one can play comfortably. The small dogs worry about getting hurt and the big dog has to play very gently so they don't hurt the other one. So if you have two dogs where very big temperament and size difference, temperament, and they can even be the same size, but you might have a very shy, like a Saluki or a Greyhound, which are very thin sight hounds that are very um, very sensitive, soft dogs. If you have dogs where... um, they don't play together very much. And this can be because the size is very different or the age is very different. So let's say you've got a 10-year-old dog and a 10-month-old dog. Very likely the 10-month-old dog is frustrated because the 10-year-old dog is so grumpy, it'll just won't play enough. (laughs) And the 10-year-old dog is like, I am just trying to sleep. Please go away and do something else. So when you have more than one dog, what you want to look at is, Are the dogs, do they do the same kind of activities? They might, the same activity might be sleeping in the sun or it might be chasing birds in the garden together. Do they seem to enjoy each other socially or are they just kind of sharing the same house but they're not following each other around? They're not really clued, like focused on people. I mean, focused on each other. Are the dogs focused on each other or are they focused on people? So I have three dogs. I had four dogs and I just had to put one of my dogs down a couple of weeks oh. ago. So now I have three dogs, which feels empty in my house. Yeah. Um, and and the, the funny joke I always say is that of my three dogs, um, the one dog especially is actually my husband's dog. So even though I train him and even though I do all the cool dog things with him, he is totally in love with my husband. So if we were to ever split up, there's no question that Sam is going with my husband, even though I've put in years and hours of training him to do stuff, yeah. um so so to get but to get back to your question, if so if people have more than one dog, if the dogs seem like they're not incredibly bonded with each other, you certainly can split them up. They can go to two different houses and they'll be okay. Like with people visiting, what you should not do is have the dogs get together for playdates because then what you're doing is you're reigniting their bond and you're tearing them away. So there's no reason to do that. If they're going to be separated, let them be separate. On the other hand, if you have dogs who are very clearly bonded with each other, who, who hang out with each other all the time, they play together all the time. Or if you have a pair of sweet old dogs who like just cuddle all day long, It's kinder to keep those dogs together if you can. If there is no choice, so some people I work with, there's no choice because of for financial reasons or renting different apartments or something, there's no choice but to split the dogs up. They can also recover from that. So it is hard, but know in your heart that they will be okay takes a few weeks of adjustment, but don't, especially if they were close friends, don't have the dogs meet up to play with each other because that is harder for them than just having a separation.
0: Wow. I, I, I love also that you pointed out the age thing because I had no idea about this, but my uh, family, my sister's, uh my sister is big on cat rescue. And so their kids volunteer at the cat rescue and they're, they've rescued two cats already. And so they finally decided this year, oh my gosh, we're gonna go for cat number three. And there's a very, I didn't realize there was such a process for introducing a new pet, especially with cats into the home. And so they were very specific of the meeting and the greeting and, and the integrating and all the things. And what we learned was that the one cat, the new cat was a teenager. And the other two were just the, you know, the old ladies and the old ladies, they liked their home the way that it was. And it was neat and it was clean. And they all knew where they were supposed to be. And the teenager came out to play. Oh my gosh. Karis is holding up her beautiful cat. She's beautiful. Um, and the, uh, the the young teenager cat we they had to actually put it back into um the foster care place that that they had it at and it ended up getting adopted and rehomed into the best possible situation and i loved that love that story because it really is about the pet do they want another cat sure do they want to save more more animals? Sure. But at the end of the day, it's like, what's the well-being of all the animals that were at play there. And it's something else that I've talked to my clients about is to remember that there are hundreds, thousands of dogs, pets, waiting for loving homes. And this could be your chance to bring love to another animal in need. It's not a replacement pet. It's simply a new, different love to give and an animal to get a chance to be rehomed. And I think that if we can kind of look at it from, again, like you're on here talking about the animal perspective, there's just so many animals that need good homes. Why do we have to... You know, fight over who get all of that and make it so so busy.
1: When uh, there's just so many pets in need, there's so many animals in need. Absolutely, there are there are so many animals out there. And and if if you're if people listening to this, if they are fighting over the dog, if the dog is keeping them up at night, it's not about the dog. Okay, it's about something else. You can be sad. It can, but, but if that sort of emotion is racing through you, it's probably so much more about the dynamic with your ex and how this had happened in the past and, you know, um, it could be a million different things. And I'm bringing this up to say that that also means you've lost the dog. You have lost the perspective of your dog and you won't be able to think clearly about what's right for your dog if you're just... If, it's, if you're grinding your teeth about it at night or sobbing your eyes out about it at night. Yeah. So if that's happening, you need to find a good friend. You need to find a therapist. You need to find a coach. You need to find somebody who can talk you through what, what is it that the dog is representing to you. And then you can make a clearer decision about it. I don't know what that decision will be, but you can't make a clear decision if the dog is showing you as some deeper, older emotions. And it's just so easy to show it when dogs carry that stuff so easy because of, because they're cute and fluffy and they don't speak English. So right. It's easy. That's,
0: that's right. They don't have an opinion about it. They can't, they can't speak their opinion about it. I think something that I like to share from the human perspective with so many of my clients is try to imagine yourself five years from now, 10 years from now. Right. And And the version of you that is living a full, fulfilled whole life again, not this version of you that's feeling like they're in defense mode, that is feeling like they're fighting for everything that they have, that feels like they're stuck in the divorce dish, not this version of you. The version of you in the future that's got it all figured it out, figured out now, that is maybe maybe your goal is to get remarried or find love again. That version of you. What is he or she doing? And um, with that new significant other or version of yourself. Maybe this version of yourself is a new solo traveler and she's hopping around the globe or he's hopping around the globe and living a different lifestyle or getting a new job or whatever those things are that you desire for yourself. Keep that version of you in mind when you're making decisions um, about your pets as well. Because if you want to be that traveler, maybe you don't want that dog. If you want to have a a different partner, like we said earlier, maybe you don't want that dog attached to this new relationship. So it's easy to try to make decisions when it's all heated and our minds are stirred and cluttered. But let's take a time out to really think about what life's going to look like a little bit further down the road, and the well-being of the dog, a hundred percent. So I love that you've brought this perspective. It is pivotal. I know there's so many people who are going to want to get connected to you right away. <laughs> I can't even tell you the number of people that I feel like are going to be calling you. Um, how can people find you? Get more of you in their life. What do you have going on?
1: The best way that people can get a hold of me is through my website, which is WhoKeepsTheDog.com. And and, um, I offer all of my new clients a free half an hour discovery chat. So for anybody who is hearing this, if you're thinking about it, if you think you might want some help or some support, you can book a free appointment with me and we will just talk through and see see if what I do is a good fit for you. And what I also do is in addition to mediation, I work just as a behaviorist helping people. It's like, well, my dog's pretty stressed about the divorce. It's like, okay, let's manage this from the dog psychology point of view. So I work in both, both sort of camps to help everybody, dogs, people, everything, calm down with it. So you can visit my website. All my information is there. I've got a book coming out next year, which is very exciting. So it's just not out yet. I wish it was, but it's, it's, it's almost ready. So when that comes out, that'll also be available on my website. Um, and yeah, all of my, everything is there. All of my media, all of the, yeah, whatever people want to find out is on who keeps the
0: Oh, that's a genius name for your website and it exactly explains (laughs) what people need to come to you for. That's so amazing. And if you guys scroll through the show notes, Karis is generously offering a beautiful code in our show notes for 15% off your first hour with her. So not only can you get your 30-minute consultation, you can also start working with her right away if it's a fit. So I always ask our guest two closing questions. So if you'll humor me for a minute more, what is one thing Karis, that you love about you.
1: Oh, what do I love about me? I love that I'm always asking questions, and I always, always want to know more about what is happening. Ooh,
0: curious questions are one of my favorite things in the whole world.
1: <laughs> and then the last
0: question I always ask everybody is, "What does joy feel like in your body?"
1: Joy in my body feels like lots of puppy kisses like holding a whole four labrador puppies all at once that's what joy feels like in my body or running in the ocean it basically feels like being a dog actually so maybe i'm running in the ocean catching a stick or i'm catching a frisbee or i'm sleeping in the sun you know on my back all of those things anything anytime i see my dogs that brings me joy in my body absolutely
0: That is the perfect answer from you for describing joy. And I can envision those moments in my own mind and it brings me joy. So I just wanna thank you so, so much for today's conversation. I can't tell you how much this is going to really impact so many people's lives and relationships with their dogs and the future of their animals. So thank you for everything that you brought to us today.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: And to everybody else out there, a kind reminder that you are safe, You are loved, you are enough. Go out into the world, shine your light bright and live a limitless life. We'll talk to you next time. Thanks for tuning in. If you loved our chat, or know someone who would, take a quick screenshot and share it now, or leave a five-star review so this message can reach the masses. Let's continue connecting. Drop me a DM at your divorce planner, or go to yourdivorceplannerhub.com to start coordinating your comeback today. You can even schedule a free connection call to dive into your desires and understand how partnering with your divorce planner will be a game changer for your next chapter. Tune in next week for another transformational topic. And remember you are loved. You are worthy. You are enough. Take care.